Welcome to the Steady On Podcast, where God's hard truth meets your hard story. I'm Angie Bauman, and this is episode 112, Enduring Trials and Suffering. And my guest today is Scott LaPierre. Several times in our conversation, Scott refers to the opening verses in the New Testament book of James. In them, James instructs his readers to count it joy when facing trials and tribulations. The word for joy in Greek is kara. It's the same word used in Matthew 2 when the wise men rejoice when they again see the star over the place where the child Jesus was. Making that connection that that word is used in both places has helped me understand how we can count it joy. The wise men rejoiced because Jesus was there. In our suffering, we may not ever be able to rejoice in our circumstances, but we can, in fact, rejoice in knowing that Jesus is there in that circumstance. Which leads me to the verse for this episode. It is a favorite of Scott's, and it is a portion of 1 Samuel 2.30. Hear this portion in the NIV. It simply says, those who honor me, I will honor. Part of the way that we honor God with our lives is being intentional about finding him in all our circumstances, rejoicing when we find him and praising him for his presence. It doesn't mean we like what we're going through, but it does mean that we trust that in what we're going through, Jesus is still there working in it, working through it for our good and for his glory. Let's listen in. Hello, Steady On community, and welcome to this podcast episode. I'm Angie Bauman, and with me today is Scott LaPierre. Scott, welcome to the Steady On community. Thanks, Angie. Glad to be here and have this time with you and your listeners. Yes, I'm looking forward to this. Scott is mm-hmm. a prolific, I think, author, speaker. He is a pastor. He is also the father of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine with wife Katie. <laughs> Have I counted that correctly? That's correct. Yeah. And what uh, what is the age range of your kiddos? Sure. So the oldest is 14 and seems like she's going on, you know, 25. And the youngest <laughs> was born in September. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, you have nine kids and people think you want to have, you know, all these children and it's, and it was more, we could have been happy. We just wanted to have a God want to have a, give us, it could have been three, you know, it could be 13. Mm -hmm. We just want a God and it's not a commentary on what other people should or shouldn't do, but we wanted to kind of reach the end of our lives and feel like we had just let the Lord build our family for us. So he's given us nine. My wife turned 40 a few months ago. So we'll see. I mean, sometimes after number eight or seven, we wonder if that'd be the last one. Mm-hmm. So how many boys and girls? So, yeah. Separate it out for us, will you? Mm-hmm. So we have five and four. So it's pretty close. Okay. All right. And here's the, here's the most important question. How many bathrooms in your house? <laughs> we have four bathrooms. <laughs> um, actually, we, we have my mother moved in. I know we're going to be talking about trials and I don't know if this will come up, but my father passed away unexpectedly oh. last year and uh, my mother was uh, struggling. She was fairly lonely. They'd been married almost 40 years. Mm. And so I said, would you like to move in with us? And that required finding a new place. And so our house is bigger than this house is bigger than our previous house, but we wanted my mom. So we went from, you know, we kind of needed her to have her own bathroom too. And we moved into this house just, you know, two months ago or a month and a half ago. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. And moving is always uh, stressful and expensive and unexpected in terms of what has to be done. And I'm sure with that many children, it is additionally. So, so yeah. Yeah. So as you said, we are going to talk about uh, suffering and we're going to talk about trials today. One of the things that Scott talks about, which I'm glad about is just finding, um, finding joy in our 
struggles in our trials, in our suffering. And so we're going to focus on that for the next few minutes, because one of the things that you write and that you share is that suffering is not meaningless or accidental. So I want, wondered if you would just kind of expand on that. What do you mean by suffering is not accidental or meaningless? Good. So if you're not a believer, I don't, I don't really know how a- atheists or agnostics deal with suffering. I suppose the belief would have to be that you're just unfortunate, you know, or you're, you're unlucky. You can't see God's fingerprints on what you experience. But if you're a Christian and you recognize God's sovereignty <clears throat> over your life and the circumstances you experience, then you have to recognize that he is in control of what you, you go through. And we're told in, in, his, in the word of God that he is going to use it for his glory, for our sanctification, um, for our good, for the good of others. And so it's one of the real encouragements that we have to kind of hold to in, in scripture, even if we can't see it at the time. So even though I say those things, that God's going to use it for good in our lives or other people's lives, we, we frequently can't see what God is doing through our suffering or trials. I mean, part of walking by faith is believing what God's word says, even when we can't see it or it doesn't make sense to us. That's what it means to live by faith versus by sight. So you got to look at Romans 8, 28 that says, um, you know, that God works all things together for good and believe that he's doing that, even if it doesn't look that way to you at the moment and maybe, and maybe never will there by God's grace. There are some situations I've experienced, like for example, a lot, my brother's passing. That's how I became a Christian almost 20 years ago when my brother died of a drug overdose. And at the time I didn't really see the good that God was doing through that. But then looking back years later, it was like, wow, God really brought so much good from that. My salvation, my parents' salvation. I mean, now I'm pastoring, you know, my children's salvation. But at the time, it's just this ultra confusing, difficult season. Like why, you know, there's just two of us. Why did my brother have to die? And um, so, yeah, it, it, it's really just believing what God's word says, even when we can't see it and believing that he's sovereign, he's in control. And I, I know people don't like to think about that, Angie. They, they don't want to kind of associate God with our suffering. But honestly, the alternative is, uh, is terrifying. The alternative is that God is not sovereign or in control over your suffering. And he's just sort of sitting back, feeling bad that you're going through this. I mean, that's very, that God is not in control and he's just kind of on the throne and it's like, oh, I feel so bad for Scott. It's really unfortunate that this happened to him. And I wish there was something I could do about it, but I'm not sovereign. So I can't. The comfort is in knowing that God is sovereign and in control. I understand people want to distance God because they don't want to see his fingerprints on some of the difficult things that that, um, they've experienced. But really, it's only in recognizing that it came through the throne of God that allows us to, to be comforted or encouraged during that difficult season. Yeah. So I want to ask you about your brother's death and thank you for sharing that with us. It helps us just understand more about why, why you believe this the way that you do. And so what were some things maybe after that time, like what was the process that God maybe opened your heart to? What were, what were some ways that made you open to the goodness that could come? Not because I don't know that we ever say, I'm glad that happened to my brother. Right. But we can also, we can look around and say, I'm so glad that God was able to do something with what happened to Mm -hmm. my brother. And so what would you share with us? Just kind of how, how did God begin to open your heart to his work, his fingerprints on it? Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home and I was a school teacher in my early twenties. I had gotten out of the military. I was an army officer, got out of the military. I'm teaching elementary school with a handful of Christians they'd kind of invite me to church because they went, they went to the same church and I kind of kept putting them off. Um, I would say, you know, keep asking me, I'll probably go one of these days. And then my brother, 
we knew he had struggled with drugs, but he was very healthy. Don't, don't think of, you know, the person that's on the streets that looks like an addict. He, he was actually one of the drugs he took. He took some steroids. You know, he looked very healthy and strong. So it was an absolute shock to my family. And it was just just him and I. So my my parents um, were really devastated by that. And so <clears throat> the, the people I was teaching with said, hey, what do you think about coming to our church and talking to our pastor? Because he lost his brother when he was about your age. And I didn't, you know, Angie, I didn't go to church that to that church to become a Christian or born again or, or anything like that. Cause I thought I was, you know, in my mind, it's like, I wasn't a Christian, but I thought, Hey, there's heaven and good people go to heaven. I'm a good person. Even though I wasn't a good person, bad people go to hell. I'm not bad enough to go to hell. So I pretty much thought if I died, I would go, I'd go to heaven. And so I go to this church just to talk to this pastor who had lost his brother and I didn't bring a Bible. Someone handed me a Bible and the, and the pastor gets up and, and tells us to open to a place. And I can like barely find it because I have no familiarity with scripture. And he, he preaches and, you know, he reads a verse, explains it, reads a verse, explains it. And it was life changing. It was like, wow, God is speaking to me through his word. I can understand this. It bore witness to me. So I, I didn't even get to talk to the pastor that Sunday about my brother. And I was already looking forward to coming back the next Sunday. Someone shared the gospel with me you know, God opened my heart to it. It, it, it. it really, I was convinced of the truth of it. But then things got more complicated because my parents were Catholic and they were not happy about me leaving the Catholic church. And they thought that, I remember my mom sobbing and she says, you know, we lost one son, now we're losing the other one. And I'm like, this isn't personal. I'm sorry, it feels so personal to you guys. They felt very betrayed by me. And to make a long story short, over some years of, of sharing the gospel with them, they did become Christians. I got to baptize them. They moved up to be with us. Dad served as a deacon in the church until, until he passed away. And so, uh, you know, my life took a completely different trajectory. If I hadn't become a Christian, maybe I'd still be teaching and coaching, which is nice and moral and everything, but God just radically, um, you know, put me on a different, a different path when I got saved, all of it as a result of my, my brother's death. Yeah. And so you talk about God being compassionate and gracious during our trials. I hear that in what you're mm -hmm. telling me about this story. Where, where else have you seen that? And how do we look for it when we're struggling? How do we look for God's presence, his compassion, his grace? Mm -hmm. So one of the premier passages in scripture about trials would be the beginning of James, James one, two through four, where it tells us to count it all joy when we uh, experience trials of various kinds. And that doesn't go together well for us. You know, joy is pretty much the opposite of what you experience when you suffer or go through a trial. It, you, it's the absence of joy when you're, when you're in a trial. But that's what's interesting is the verse doesn't say experience joy or feel joy. It says count or reckon this as joy. Well, how do you do that? Because you can't, you can't feel or experience joy when you're suffering, when you've lost a loved one or you have a disease or, or someone betrays you or there's a job loss or financial issue. Nobody says, oh, I'm so, I feel so much joy at this time. You have to count it as joy or reckon it as joy because of your confidence in what God is doing through it or bringing about as a result of that. And then it goes on to describe um, your faith being tested, but producing maturity. We, we don't like this, Angie. Nobody wants to... Um, there's really no way around this truth, even though we're, we might not be the most comfortable with it, but trials are one of the premier ways that God grows us. We, we want to think we're going to grow some other way, but trials are the premier instant instrument along with his word. And, you know, John 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your word. Your word is sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we're sanctified by the word of God, but trials is also what God uses to refine us. Uh, along with, you know, Peter says, says the same thing as he compares the 
process through trials of refining with a fire, right? It's very fitting and you refine metal in a fire to show the purity of it. So yeah. And the thing that I love, I love that illustration of the refiner's fire. I talk about that a lot because one of the things that I, in studying that process, uh, it, it heats up and, and the purities, the impurities are mm-hmm. scraped off, but then it cools down. Right. And then it heats up again and more impurities. And so I think it is important for us to remember that what Jesus says in this world, we will have trouble. We will have mm-hmm. seasons of trouble. We will have seasons of difficulty. And that is part of refining us, making us more valuable, I think for kingdom work, right? The, the, the more pure that we are pure of heart, the more connected to God, the more usable, moldable we are in, uh, in our willingness to submit to him and be obedient and partner with him in kingdom work. What a, what a, what an offering of grace. Yes. What a privilege. Exactly. That's the best word. So I want to push on something that you said just a little bit, because you said without these trials, we can't grow. And I know there's someone listening that would say, I would rather not grow than have this trial, right? Like, what is the, mm-hmm. how do we embrace like the wanting of the spiritual maturity? What's sort of in that, that we can long for? Does that question kind of make sense? Like why, I, I think it yeah, does. what's the benefit there? You know, I think it does, Angie. And I'm not sure that I would say we should ever want trials or suffering. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see anything in scripture that encourages us to want them or desire them. You, you don't reach a place of maturity where suddenly you say, I want to suffer. I mean, even Jesus, he's going to, he's in the garden. And what does he say? He says, I don't want to do this. I don't want to drink this cup, but not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus even said, I am submitting to the father at this moment. It is not my will to go through this. He wasn't sadistic and God doesn't expect us to be sadistic. So we don't have to go through life wanting to suffer, but it is an issue you know, you kind of think of Jeremiah 18, the potter and the clay and being molded and formed by it. And whether we're going to be soft and receptive in the master's hands or in the potter's hands through the trial, and it doesn't feel good. You know, nobody likes it. So what the Bible does is it says, you don't necessarily have to want this and you don't have to, you know, look forward to it, but you do need to submit to it. And you do need to believe that God is bringing forth something good through it. And all of it is ways that we're being conformed into the image and likeness of Christ, which is a wonderful thing. When I look back on my greatest seasons of growth, they didn't come from hilltops. You know, they came from valleys. I'm thankful for the hilltops, but it's, it's those valleys when God has really, uh, you know, shown himself strong on my behalf, when he has worked in my life, drawn me closer to him and, you know, gotten my attention through something I was experiencing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for the trials, even if they were unpleasant. Well, I, I, I can say I'm thankful now, but on, honestly, at the time, there's, right. I'm, Absolutely. I'm frequently praying that they're taken away. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, um, my listeners know this, I share pieces of this story all the time, but in 2010, our family of four was in a head on car crash and we were very seriously injured. And I had a long, uh, rehabilitation journey and all of that. And, uh, and, and there were so many times Scott in, in that difficult season where my questions were why, and where are you so much like the psalmist? like, I can relate to some of that. So, you know, I, I was just driving and, and here's where I am and everything in my life is, looks like ruin, but I will say that now 11 years later, as I look back, because the Lord through that experience, uh, did, a, did a mighty work in my life in a lot of, a lot of different ways. But one of the things he taught me, and I think this is the reason that I long for spiritual maturity now, maybe differently than I did before is because I link it so much to trust as I've matured spiritually, I trust him so much more. Mm-hmm. And for me anyway, in my life, as I walk, trusting him more means I live more peacefully. I'm not trying to search for the answers myself nearly as much. I'm much more patient in trusting that 
even when I can't see it, as you're saying that he is working and that he is unfolding. And it just gives me this stability that I really didn't have before. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know I needed that. I really didn't even know I was lacking it, but being able to see him through that process has taught me so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is one of the ways that God reveals himself to us and, and draws us to himself during, um, there's this interesting account with, with King Asa, or I don't know if you have another question. Do you want me? No, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So it's an interesting account with King Asa where there's repeated use of the words peace or rest. And Asa is experiencing this season as a king. I think it might be in second Chronicles 14 or 13. Um, And he's experiencing all this peace and rest. And during that time he builds and prepares, and then he ends up being attacked by this enemy. And I always kind of look at that and think that that's really a night because, you know, people are confused by the Old Testament. They don't understand what application it has for them. First Corinthians 10, I think verse 6 and 11, Romans 15, verse 4, it says that the Old Testament is given to us um, to provide examples and admonition and instruction. So we are, it's clear we are to learn from the Old Testament, but someone looks and they're like, what am I going to learn from a king? What am I going to learn from this nation that gets attacked by another nation? Well, one of the applications is in that just that situation is that when he experienced peace, that's when he built. And I think that as believers, that's what we need to do. When we're experiencing seasons of peace, we need to um, build, be in God's word, pray, uh, be in fellowships. So we're not we're not blindsided when that trial comes because then Asa ended up getting attacked and he responded to it very well because he had spent that time building up his his nation. And this and it's the same for us, you know. I, I kind of use that an, that analogy of being blindsided. There's a lot of Christians that are kind of like that athlete running down the field and they're not prepared for that person that's about to t- clobber them, you know, tackle them. And there's just, there's kind of two ways to get tackled by trials, being prepared for it when you can kind of brace for it, you're, you're built up or then when you're blindsided and Christians can be kind of like that at that football player running down the field and they just get blindsided. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. And, you know, it's nice when, someone goes through a trial and then they get really serious about the Lord. You, you'll hear people say that I went through this trial and God used it in our lives. And that's, that's wonderful, but there's a sense in which it's almost like studying for a test, the day of a test or preparing for the game, the day of the game, we actually want to prepare before the trial comes. So it's good when God uses a trial to kind of snap us out of something but it's even better when we have already been preparing for that trial, we can respond to it in a much better way, I believe. And what are some ways that you would think uh, are helpful to be preparing for the trial before it comes? Mm -hmm. Good. So being in God's word regularly being built up by scripture, there's, I think it's John 16, Jesus says the Holy spirit will bring to mind those things. Um, But the only way he's going to bring it to mind is if you have read them in the first place and have some familiarity, you know, the only way you can remember something is if you had learned it. And so being in God's word, being in fellowship, um, one of the nice things about having a church family, and you, you know this, is you have brothers and sisters in Christ to go through something difficult with. And you, there's, I, I guess the way I view the, our church family, and I frequently tell them, I say, hey, we're a family. And I, I mean that in two ways. One way, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But two, I just want us to view ourselves as one big, one big family. And you're either going through a trial hopefully being encouraged or poured into by your brothers and sisters in Christ, or you are coming out of a trial and you're looking for other people who are suffering. And then you're looking to pour into them and invest in them. But I know, I know many people and I am in this category as well 
that if they went through trials and they didn't have a church family, it would have been absolutely devastating to them. And so it's really important to be plugged into a local church and be an active, committed member of that body. Uh, you mentioned about being attacked, or like being blindsided or attacked. And I'm just wondering, this is not a question I posed to you ahead of time, but I believe that when we're going through struggles, when we're going through suffering, when we're grieving, even that that can be a really a real opportunity for spiritual attack for the enemy to push on things that already hurt or the enemy to, to tempt us to doubt that God is good. Some of the things that you said earlier, that we can find any joy, would, would you, would you respond to that? What, where do you see people struggling or maybe giving into temptation in times of trial rather than turning to tw- the things that you're saying? Yeah, there's, there's a, I mean, it's commonly said, but I think it's true. It, it cannot sound almost a cliche, let trials make you better versus bitter. Mm-hmm. And there's a potential when we suffer, um, like Job's wife tried to tempt Job to turn against God. She said, curse God and die. And it says that Job never cursed God, sinned against God with his lips. And that was, there was definite potential for Job to turn against God. And that's the case for all of us when we suffer, that we could turn against him. We could become bitter or resentful. We've seen that. We've probably felt that temptation ourselves. Um, I tend to think in James 1, when it says, uh, you know, count all joining my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds, you know, the testing of your faith for his patience. And then it says, let steadfastness or let patience have. Well, that idea of let, that's a verb. It's active. You need to let this trial work well in your life versus it's kind of like when you get a shot, you know, by the doctor and they say, hey, it's going to hurt. But if you're real tense and you fight against it, it's going to hurt even more. Um, one of the nice things with the Psalms, or really kind of with all of Scripture, is God records the accounts of these men that were sinful. They had weaknesses. It, even the greatest men, with the exception of maybe like Daniel or, or a couple of them, you get to see the sins they committed and the weaknesses they had. And so like David, for example, in the Psalms, he suffers and he pours out his heart and it's messy. It's ugly. David doesn't say, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm suffering. And you're, I mean, there's times he's like, why do you feel so far from me? Um, I mean, there's times he says, no matter where I go, you're there. If I go up to heaven or go down to Hades, you're there. But there's other times where it's like, he's, where are you, Lord? Why don't I, why don't I feel like you're close to me? And so to throw ourselves into the Psalms is to find, find people or find verses that allow us to um, pray those things or say those things to the Lord and, and say, boy, I mean, what if you read the Psalms and it was like these ultra spiritual people, ultra mature, you can't relate to them. That's not going to be super encouraging. It's encouraging when you're reading the verses from people who struggled when they were suffering, who had doubts. There's kind of, I would say believers have doubts. Unbelievers have unbelief, but believers have doubts. Every believer has doubts at times. That's, that doesn't mean you're an unbeliever. Um, and you read the Psalms, people that had doubts and where are you, Lord? Why is this happening? And, and so I think it's really good to throw ourselves into that and be encouraged. And God put it there. He didn't, it's not like he looked down and said, well, you know, I didn't mean to put that there. And I kind of wish it wasn't because it almost makes me look bad. Like I'm not helping this person during this time. That's not <laughs> the case. He I put that, that there for us. Yeah. So. yeah. I think that's one of our greatest defenses. It has been in my life uh, uh, is to be honest with the Lord. Because then that I, there's an, there's a submission. It took me a while to make this connection. This is true for me in my honesty about where my doubt is or where my disappointment is to be able to say to God, I realize now that I had an expectation you didn't meet, right? Like to be able to say, I wanted you to show up in my life this way and you didn't do it. Help me reconcile that because I believe you are good and I don't like this. And 
Um, but that time with him, that honesty before him helps me submit and receive for his guidance in a way that holding on to it, which is what I hear you saying in the song, but the holding on to it, then I don't know. I tend to make up a story in my mind about who God is or what he's doing. That isn't actually true that, and, and I, and I receive that differently when I can just say, I am just like when David says, my, my bed is soaked with my tears, right? Like mm-hmm. that's where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think of Hezekiah when he was attacked by Sinatra over the Assyrians and he just goes into the, he, he looks strong outwardly. He looks mm-hmm. strong to his people, but he goes into the temple or he goes into the house of God and he just pours out his heart. And he's like, Hey, look, we're going to, we're about to get wiped out. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't, it's very candid, it's mm-hmm. not pious, it's mm-hmm. messy. Um, and he, it's like, he just kind of vomits out how he yeah. feels and says, if you don't deliver us, this is it for us. We're looking to you to help because every fortified city within the Southern kingdom of Judah had been conquered by the Assyrians as Sinatra of headed South. And it looked like Jerusalem was about to fall. And then dramatically, that's when the angel of the Lord goes out and slaughters, I think, 185,000 Assyrians that very night. But Hezekiah didn't know that that was yeah. what was going to happen. And so he's yeah. just ultra vulnerable. And, and you, you know, you can feel like that. You can feel like, hey, I'm, I'm getting crushed under this. I can't bear up, Lord. If you don't help me here, I don't know how I'm going to make it make yeah. it through this. And I think God wants to hear those very sincere yes. prayers. Yeah. I believe you. I trust <laughs> you. And this looks bad for me. You know, mm-hmm. like that, both are true. It's like the Mark nine, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Cause help right now unbelief, yeah. I do not understand how the angel of the Lord is going to come and get rid of these people, whatever that happens to be in our life. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you have rattled off like a lot of scripture, so many stories, so many scriptures, but I wonder, um, uh, in addition to the James scripture, maybe not the Roman scripture, some of those things that you've already pointed out, are there specific passages that for you, for Scott, when I, when you are struggling, when you're going through something, something happens in your church family, you didn't expect something happens with one of your children. You didn't expect, um, I'm confident your marriage isn't perfect, good, but not perfect. You know, those things, when those things raise their head, uh, what's something you cling to? So real, real early in my Christian life, someone shared a verse with me. And I guess, cause I didn't know any, any verses at that time. It really stuck yeah. with me. And it's first Samuel two, verse 30. God says, I will honor those who honor me. And that verse doesn't get a whole lot of attention because I think we generally cling to these verses that sort of sound good from beginning to end. And that the part I just said, I, where God says, I'll honor those who honor me. It's only part of a very large verse. And so people never say, oh, my life verse or my favorite verse is first Samuel two, verse 30. But for me, that's a verse that has come to mind because it has application for every area of the Christian life. Marriage, you mentioned earlier, you know, parenting, your job and trials. And so it's kind of a question of how can I honor God as I go through this? How can I be a good witness? What, you know, God has given me, like if I suffered as I have a very public position as a pastor and, you know, obviously I would, I mean, I think as a parent, your worst nightmare would be losing a child. But if something like that happened, that's a tremendous opportunity for me to try to bear up under that and be a good witness of Christ. I mean, when we're suffering, that's when you have the greatest opportunity to be to have a good testimony for the Lord. Everyone, when when something's going super well, who can't act like the Lord is good? Who can't praise God on the hilltops? I mean, who can't praise God when when you just got the raise or you just had got married or had the new child? But to be able to praise God during the valleys when things are really bad that's a tremendous opportunity. We've had some people in our church. Uh, we, we had a couple, their son drowned. We have a young mother who has been battling cancer. Um, and these people, I mean, I have just been proud to be their pastor. I have been privileged to watch what they've went through and how they've handled it. And I'm not saying it wasn't messy or I'm not saying they were perfect, 
throughout it, but I'm saying they kept their faith in the Lord. And that's what like, I think it's James five. It says that Job persevered. Well, how did Job persevere? If you read Job, it was pretty messy. There were times when he at toward the very end was proud. There were times when he was upset, but how did he persevere? He persevered the same way all of us persevere. He maintained his faith in the Lord. And so when we go through trials, that's when our faith is really tested, not when things are going um, wonderfully for us. Yeah. And I think that maintaining the faith is also, I've, I've, I've struggled to give grace to myself in my relation. Well, just in general, but one of the things that I, that the Lord is helping me understand is maintaining your faith is also when you recognize you're choosing your own strength, which is what I, cho- when you, when you recognize you're taking steps away, then hear my call back to it. It doesn't mean we don't have these dips, right? It, it doesn't mean we don't cry out. Like you're saying, like in times of distress or disillusionment or disappointment, you know, it means that when we get to that place, then we remember the choice that we made and we take steps. We, we continue to take steps on that road. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it talks about our sanctification, it says from one degree of glory to Mm -hmm. another, that's referring Mm -hmm. to a sanctification process. And it kind of gives us impression that our sanctification is going to look like this nice, perfect 45 degree angle, Keep going. this this nice gradual slope, but it looks a lot more like the stock market. It's pretty up and down. Hopefully, hopefully the trajectory of our sanctification is up, Right. but there's some recessions. There's times it dips down and we struggle. And then the issue, like, I believe what you're saying is then we recover. Yes. Hopefully. Yes, exactly. And if you look at some of the people that you talked about before, I'll go back to David, like definitely it, 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 it was like that in his life. There were times, there were seasons where he felt very close to God and he was very honoring to God. And then there were seasons where he was very honoring to David. And, uh, mm-hmm. in, you know, and those go back and forth. So I think it's good to remember that because I like to say the, the man after God's own heart is one that recognizes when he's turned away and uh, repents of that and turns back. So I also like that scripture that you used in first Samuel about God honoring the heart that honors him, because I think that can be really helpful to us as we uh, feel God calling us to take steps forward, maybe in a different direction or take steps in obedience. Cause I talk to people so often that are worried about doing that wrong. Like what if I'm hearing him wrong, or especially if you know, if, uh, if surrendering in that way is new to them. And I think that's one of the things that I say, I'm like, God, if God's calling you to something and you step out in it and your desire is to serve him and to honor him, he's going to help, you know, what steps are next. And if you're taking a step in a different direction, he's going to lovingly pull you back on that path. And so I think, uh, as, as we, as we work to keep our heart pure before him, uh, he helps us do that. He helps us honor him when he knows that's our, that's our intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of that quote, does God call the equipped? No, he equips the called, right? Does he yeah. call the equipped? That means, you know, is God looking for these people that are already like super Christians, and then he uses them? No, what he does, and is he and then calls those people? No, he calls people and then he equips them to do what he has called yeah. them to do it, over time. It's a process. I love that super Christian. You don't have to be a super Christian to answer the call of God. <laughs> mm-hmm. This has been so fantastic. I have loved talking to you and receiving encouragement from you today. And I just wonder, I always ask this of my guests before I let you go. Is there um, anything at all right now? If you would just give us a peek into Scott's life, what are you reading, listening to watching uh, anything goes that's helping you personally stay connected to God right now? Okay. I'm in, I'm in Luke Scott. Gospel, and okay. we reach chapter fifteen, which has the parable oh, of the yes. lost, lost coin, lost sheep, and the and the and the prodigal son. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, as a pastor to labor in God's word for a living, you reach chapters that you might not be particularly thrilled about, maybe because of your familiarity with them. And few chapters are as familiar to us as Luke, as Luke 15, but, you know, Andrew, I've really been blessed by it. I've really been, cause it's all about God's heart for the lost. It's all about his, 
even just this morning as I was before our phone call or our, our interview, and I kept seeing that repetition of one sinner, one sinner, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And there's, you know, one sheep that's found one coin. And it's all about the joy God experiences associated with one person's salvation. And it's easy to kind of feel lost in the crowd, you know, the mass of millions or billions of people throughout human history, um, that you're not significant. But I was just really reflecting on the value that each of us individually have to the Lord and that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, not over, you know, it doesn't have to be like a million sinners that repent for there finally to be some joy in heaven. And uh, that was just a sweet, a sweet thought for me this morning, um, kind of in my devotional time or as I was working on my sermon, Yeah, you know, when I got saved, God rejoiced over that, that brought him joy, my salvation. Yes. I think that's also important in this world that we live in that encourages so much like following who's following you, who's read, I mean, you know, as an author and pastor, and um, even as a podcaster, how many downloads, it's so much about numbers, how many people on your Facebook page, how many books, uh, copies of books did you sell for those listening? You know, there's probably something that you're doing. It's like, how many, how much, how how much money in the bank and all that. And I I do hear the Lord over and over again, calling me to remember um, that the one, the one that sometimes the, the, the work, the most important work he's calling me too today, uh, isn't about the many it's about the one and, uh, and, and to believe in the importance and significance of that work too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott can be found at scottlapierre.com. I will link all of this stuff in the show notes. He has a new book. Tell before I let you go again, I already said that once one more time though, but you have a sure. new book coming out in may. Would you just tell us just a little bit about that? And I will link that in the show notes too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that opportunity. So my web, my website is where you can find the most about me, scottlapierre.org, my name, um, S-C-O-T-T. Well, you'll have it. You'll have, I will have it in the show notes and I did say .com, but it's .org. So thank you for correcting me. Yeah. I'll get it. I'll get it right in the show notes. Yeah. And, and I'll just say, I actually have a free gift there. It's a little merit. It's a little short read, um, to your listeners. It's called seven biblical insights for marriage kind of taken from my marriage book. It's not a, it's not a novel or anything. It's just, it's a short read, more like a pamphlet. And I hope that would be a blessing. I just want to see marriages strengthened, but yeah, I have my next book with Harvest House is a finance book, your finance is God's way um, and an accompanying workbook. And I think it just, it's very uh, biblical and conservative and helps us steward our finances in a way that pleases God. And so a lot of scripture in it versus, I mean, there's, practical financial advice because that's it's a finance book Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of scripture to encourage us to steward our finances in ways that that please god and there's actually there's arc um, advanced reader copies your your listeners might not i know you know from your familiarity with the writing world what that is but uh, for your listeners there's arcs advanced reader copies available for people to get a copy um you know to download even right now so Awesome. Awesome. All right. It's so, it's been so great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for sharing some time with us and friend, thank you so much for listening until next time. Peace. God bless you. I'm so grateful to Scott for his willingness to share pieces of his story. And as he combined sharing pieces of his story with this deep knowledge of scripture, we get this understanding that when we combine those two things, recognizing God and studying and knowing the heart of God, we can be the kind of people who are matured and sanctified and refined through our circumstances and be the kind of people that are so very valuable in kingdom work. First Samuel 2.30, again, this time from the CEV, it simply says, I honor anyone who honors me. And I encourage you today in whatever it is that you're going through, commit yourself to honoring the Lord in your circumstance He will see you 
and he will recognize that sacrifice to honor him even when to praise him even when to recognize him even when your feelings might tell you something very different and in his honoring of you for honoring him you will be flooded with that peace that you crave and i say that because i know it to be true because it's what he does for me and i know that he will do it for you Next week, Courtney Lohman will be my guest on the show, and you will not want to miss this conversation. Courtney brings us steps to finding a spiritual mentor. She encourages us to engage in both mentoring other people and receiving mentoring from other people. If you happen to have an extra second or two today, please consider rating and or reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast directory you use to listen, because that does a lot to help other people find us. Thank you so much for listening today. I pray wherever your day takes you, you're walking in the confident knowledge that you are a beloved, cherished child of God. Peace.